Wheels, 1.45 p.m., February 27th, entering the RSS feed of Got It Memorized, a Twin Peaks podcast with a Kingdom Hearts quote for a title. Shouldn't be too hard to remember. I'm sure the hosts have a fun show. That's what I need. Fun show, reasonably paced. My name is Joe, and I'm joined as always by Wheels. How are you, Wheels? I'm good. Uh, uh, eagle-eared listeners will notice that we said the same date two episodes in a row because we were recording two episodes in a row. And I forgot mm-hmm. to mention last episode that we recently reached the actual, like, is it 20? Is it the 25th? Is that what it was? February 25th that Cooper oh, drives yeah, we into just, Twin uh, Peaks? We, we, we actually just didn't record that an episode. We're recording that day. This. Yeah, no. Yeah. But uh, yeah, neat. Neat. Yeah, it was funny because uh, you retweeted something about it on, on the God of Memorized account. You retweeted, Has anyone posted this yet today? And the answer is, Yeah, 100 people had. And I didn't notice that. <laughs> Waited until the actual 1130 to post it from our account. So it's just a oh, very funny back to back. Of has anyone posted this for clout and then me waiting for the actual time to post it to for post clout. for clout, yeah. Twin Peaks Day. I've seen people like swatch the pilot that day and then just watch like one episode a day throughout the That's cute. Like, cause it's I mean it basically lines up of like what the Yeah the the dates are. Do you think it was a leap year? Great question, Joe. And you know, that's gonna it's very important <laughs> to know. But you know, I don't think we'll What's get the, the answer. Implications this of the lore. Pete looks like the type of dude mm. who was born on a leap year. Yeah, I feel like Twin Peaks is the kind of place that could have a leap year when the rest of the world doesn't. Like, you know how, like, <laughs> w- w- like that one state, which one is it, that doesn't do t- uh, fucking daylight savings time when the rest of the... I believe it's a state. I think it's like Arizona or Colorado. It's, I think it's in that region. There's also a, yeah. Saskatchewan doesn't, uh, the province of Canada, Saskatchewan does not Twin Peaks uh, feels like that kind of place. It, so sometimes... I'm in the same time zone as Saskatchewan, and sometimes I'm not. Yeah, Twin Peaks certainly has its own leap seconds, leap hours, leap days, mm-hmm. everything. Leap people. <laughs> we open on Harold Smith having just caught himself with a garden implement, and he's kind of menacing, not kind of, quite menacingly uh, looking at Donna and Maddie as they're kind of cowering near the exit of his house, and he says, I trusted you. I invested my heart and soul in you. I mean, I guess. <laughs> they just wanted to read. Donna's like, we just wanted to read the diary, but also not here. I met you like three days ago. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know how much time she spent here, but it's uh, it hasn't really been very long. Uh, they they turn to run and uh, Harold says, I thought you were different. <laughs> I thought you weren't like the other girls. Now he says, I thought you were different. You made me feel I could return to the world and find something decent and pure. But you're just like all the others. You lie, you betray, and then you laugh about it. You are unclean. You have contaminated me. I don't know if they were going to laugh about it. Probably going to cry right. about it, let's be honest. Yeah, they're probably, yeah, have a nightmare tonight about this. James runs in. Saves the day. That's the thing about by him. Do, by doing being nothing. Cool. It's it's total like Luigi wins by doing nothing. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He's he shows just up. like there and Harold is like, what? And then they leave. Mm-hmm. And it works. Yep. They get out of the house, which is all you have to do. You just have to. It's like there are rooms that Mr. X can't go into in RPD and <laughs> Resident Evil 2. It's like a, you, you got to the save point. You got to the well, bonfire. You can't, can't fit his big head into the dark room. Yeah, that's it. Or his big body, I suppose. The head is mo- this kind of normal size. Yeah. Did you shoot his hat off when you played it? Of course. Yeah. Yeehaw, motherfucker. You know what? Fell- We're fucking talking about Resident Evil 2. It's a good game. You know what's fucking hard is the ghost survivor thing. Oh, yeah. Those are rough. I tried so many times at that thing. 
I got like sitting there the coolest uh, fucking Agent Hunk rolling through, shooting yeah. off the head of of uh, Mr. X or when he comes around the corner, and I still fucking it's I still couldn't do it. Yeah, it's tough because the thing is like it's just it's so much longer than you think because you're like, oh, I'm out of ammo. Every, if, you go through you're... like the whole map, the whole game, basically. It's really great. I've never beaten it though. Um, and there are people who speed run it like knife only. It's crazy. Um, anyways, this is not a Resident Evil podcast as much as it's a great idea. That's it. I mean, they they get out of the house and James is like running and they're like, he's not going to follow us. We're good. <laughs> we hit the we got into the dark room. Stoop kids afraid to leave the stoop. Stoop yeah. kids afraid to leave the stoop. But they they stop running and Don nothing. Not a Hey Arnold fan? No. I, I recognize it because you've said it on the podcast before. Man. But I don't know, like, I don't, is that a call and response? Am I supposed to say something no, back? No, it's just stupid kids afraid to leave the... There's a plot where... <laughs> there's a plot where there's this bully. He sits out on a stoop and everyone that passes, he's like, Hey, stupid kid looking outfit. Terrible, terrible vibes. He scares people because he's like a pretty big kid. The kids are always like always like rush by his stoop so that he doesn't notice them. But there's a point at which I don't remember what character it is, but someone like snatches something off of his of his off of the stoop and runs off. And stoop kid must be agoraphobic because he doesn't want to leave his stoop. The kids start mocking him by chanting, "Stoop kids afraid to leave this." It's this. It's this. It's this plot. It's this. Well, that sounds sad. But now. I think they don't actually snap. She like goes for the. They don't. They don't get the book. No, they diary, don't get the diary. But they don't grab it. Yeah. Again, yeah. Much like last time, the scene ends with Harold grabbing a diary on the ground. Yeah. But yeah, they get out of the house and they stop running. And Donna's like, just hold me, please. And Maddie watches. Yeah. So they have reconciled through more trauma. They bond. Yeah, that, that's the a great foundation for a relationship. Still the night, Cooper gets back to the book house and gets Audrey set up on a little cot and people are going to attend to her health problems. Lots of needle marks on her arm. Audrey's like back and forth of consciousness. Cooper talks to her um, and she sort of details a sort of nightmare she's having until... He wakes her up. Seems rough. Don't need to read it for the pod, but no, nope. sad. I mean, neither of us want to be here. T- <laughs> if we if we can avoid saying "daddy," the like if we can just not say that ever, that's that's the best. So yes, yeah, we will skip the majority of this. Yeah, because she's for some reason having a some sort of dream about her dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's it. She Cooper gets her to wake up, and she repeats that she prayed that he would come. Um, and that's the end of that scene for now. We go back to. Done. Yeah, we'll keep like, checking back in yeah. on. We don't really check back in on. Uh, we do have one, one more, yeah, important scene with her. But we yeah. we get health checkup updates as the episode goes on. But she ends up being fine. Yeah, we go back to the the teen plot, and Maddie's just. The scene starts with Maddie leaving. I don't know if she got an Uber or what, but ends with Donna and James sort of talking as they go over to his motorcycle, and he's like, "No more going off on your own," and she's like. Yeah, okay. I guess I'll go to the cops and give them half of the truth. Right. That's uh, gonna happen later in this episode. Yep, that's basically it. Yeah. James gives some line about, like, if we could put our hearts together and keep them that way forever, we'd be safe no matter what. And she's like, okay, sure. That's the biggest thought James Hurley has ever had. <laughs> well, give it, to the rest, give it to the rest of the episode. He has another big one later. I like the shooting script of James kisses her on the mouth. <laughs> Regardless, we go into the sheriff's department, Truman's office, where Cooper and Truman talk about Audrey. Heroin, she's 
on the other, you know, she's getting better, but she was really close to death. And how cruel. Can't imagine, har- hard to imagine that kind of cruelty, Cooper says. Uh, Truman is looking through a book of mugshots and finds who killed Black Rose. And it was uh, Jean Renault, which of course we recognize that name, eldest brother of Jacques and Bernard. Much worse than the other two, says he runs the Northern Territories. Drugs, extortion, gambling, you name it. Um, and the Truman, we didn't mention this in the last episode, but visually, Truman sees in that office that they had the security footage tape of Cooper from their sting. Yeah, the, the sting that was the finale of season one when, when they show up there, they've got, they've got that security footage of Cooper, like, yep. <laughs> have you seen this man? Uh kind of thing and so and so they put the two of them put two and two together that oh he was trying to kill me yep me being cooper yep and they used audrey as bait which it's a deeply troubling revelation a long beat truman tries to comfort him but cooper's like ah fuck piss and shit fuck i went out of my jurisdiction this young girl paid the price this isn't the first time someone's gotten hurt because i did what i thought i needed to do damn it should have known damn that. it and Truman just tries Damn it, to Harry! Damn it, Truman! He tries to remind him, look, she's okay now. She's back. We did it. We won. You kept the money. Win, win, win. Cooper, you're the best lawman I've ever seen, but sometimes you think too much. Let's see. What do we get? Cooper talks to Ben at the hotel. He goes back Ooh, to the Great this, Northern. There, this is a great scene. because, Because like, the whole time Ben is doing his like fake nice thing, but Cooper at this point has put everything together because they're so i don't know if so when i don't think we mentioned it last episode but in last episode when ben is packing the case with the money he like or maybe it's in this episode or something he has a a note written in there presumably for either black rose or jean or i guess it would be jean because he doesn't know that black rose is the kidnapper but when cooper returns the case he returns it without the note so we can presume that Cooper learned something from that note that that has allowed him to put two and two together to realize that Ben Horn is connected to One-Eyed Jacks, and therefore, even though it's kind of inadvertent, he's still connected to the kidnapping of his own daughter, and so Cooper is like being professional but not kind. Right. I I hadn't thought about that. I assumed the note was just the directions because he writes it on the phone when he's talking about the abandoned amusement park. Oh, but you, you could, could be, be right. But then, you, but you then, but right we too. get like a pretty definite shot of like Ben like looking through the money. So I thought that was supposed to be him looking for the note. But maybe that was just him counting the. I, I yeah, I could see it going either way. I don't. Uh, the handwriting is so bad that I don't know what the note <laughs> said. But yeah, any either case, Ben is pretending like, oh, good, my daughter is saved from these degenerates. Yeah. When really, obviously, Cooper has kind of figured out, okay, you are. A, Super connected to one eyed king of the degenerates. Yeah, that should be my new Twitter name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure there's much to go over in terms of what they talk about because it's more about recap the the plot. Yeah, it's more about what they're not saying, what they're what Cooper is saying with his body language, which Mm -hmm. is fuck you, fuck you. (laughs) It's also funny. I do want to point out how many of Ben's responses to learning information is no, (laughs) (laughs) no heavens, too bad. A lot of good news. Uh, it's interesting because, like, I kept thinking about, like, his performance in this scene and, like, wondering, is it all good news for him? How much of it is him contemplating that his daughter was in danger because of him and maybe 
thinking my, this my is read bad. is that he's just so deep in shit that and and can and 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 like uh shenaniganery that he, everything he, he has to process everything first as like okay what does this mean for me and all my schemes yeah oh also it's my daughter and i whatever something i do theoretically care about that yeah it's like everything is filtered first through all right does this hurt me does this put me in a bad position that's kind of how I read There's it. There's a great note here in the shooting script for screen direction that says paternal in spite of himself. Great description ha. of what it's going through. Um, and I, I think the reason I was like going back and forth in my mind watching it is knowing the rest of his character arc through season three, which is frankly not a thing that I should be considering in the context of this. But, you know, easy to consider just the same. I think Ben's a very interesting character in general, but especially in season three. But uh, that's really the end of the scene is that Ben's like, well, thanks for getting her back. When can I see her? And the answer is in the morning. Later. Yeah. Yep. She's she's recovering. Not great. Uh, and then we get a little bit more um, of the Bobby Shelley Leo triangle um, because they're bringing the big guy home. That's right. They have this discussion with an insurance agent. Rock a man. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's uh it's what they called Mega Man in the original <laughs> language. Insurance representative Tom Brockman. <laughs> That's a great name. He's like, it's so wonderful that you're giving him at home care, that you're staying here full time for him. This is amazing. Anyway, here's your check, and they're like uh, I That's think it's it? missing a few zeros, bud, because they were expecting 5,000 and it's only 700. Yeah, the shooting trip says 1,700, so they must have cut it down even more. Yeah. Day of. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you've summed up the whole scene and they're like, yeah, healthcare is so expensive. Anyways, bye. Right. I kind of love this because Bobby and Shelly are like, what the fuck? We are supposed to be, like, living rich off of this guy's disability. You mean, like, people on disability don't get much money in America? And actually, it's kind of unethical? And by kind of, I mean very, because you can't possibly live off of it even though you're disabled? Man, this is fucked. For us, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing, is it does boil down to for us, I mean. And Bobby's eventually is like, well, at least I can still make out with Shelly in front of the guy. Yeah, so they'll do that later. Yeah. And now. <laughs> and we go then back to the sheriff's department. Donna tries to go to the sheriff and is like, no, no, no. She has a second diary. This is where it like, is. You never. And he's like, did you see it? She's like, well, no. I mean, he read it. I saw. Yeah. She saw her handwriting in it. One page that she wrote. And he's like, I don't. I really don't care about this. I'll put it at the bottom of our you know, we've got other got leads. A lot I'll going put on. this at the bottom of the list. Yeah, the doorway to the the, the door to the interrogation room is wide open. Excuse so me, <laughs> I'm looking for a sheriff Truman. If you can't believe, believe it. it, Gordon Cole is here in the flesh. Gordon Cole, played by one David Lynch, has arrived. He introduces himself, and he always yells. He explains why. FBI Regional Bureau Chief Gordon Cole. That's a real mouthful, and I can't hear myself anyway. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. He, uh, I love this, too, because, like, you think, like, he's only on the phone in the first season, but he's Once always yelling twice, over the yeah. phone. And, like, the bit then feels just like, oh, it's nice that they have him yell so that even though he's on the phone, we can always hear his dialogue clearly. But then he gets here, and he just yells in person, too, because... He's hard of hearing and doesn't realize how long he's speak. I have to imagine this idea comes from some sort of bit of how he was on set shooting 
Like probably because this I mean, I mean, we retweet every fucking Friday that if you can believe it, it like and you can watch those yeah. whole videos that he that those come from the Daily Weather reports. But like this is just an exaggerated version of how the man is. It, he's a funny it's guy. Wonderful. And I don't think he's actually hard of hearing him in, in any way, but he has a, a distinct way he talks. And this is a, a bit a very great bit that comes out of it. Uh, and he excuses himself uh, from his conversation with Donna to deal with this. Listen to Gordon. Gordon says, uh, you'll have to speak up. Hearing's gone. Long story. Got these things cranked up to the max. Um, and so Truman's like, you're looking for Cooper? When an agent goes down in the field, I jump right up and pay a visit. Uh, he says that Cooper isn't here. Cole doesn't really answer that question. But Albert Rosenfield is not coming back. But I've got his work right here. Item. A vacuna coat. Fibers, Albert, found in the hall outside Cooper's room are from a vacuna coat. Truman sort of pensively is like, vacuna? No thanks. I already ate. <laughs> Do you think he, I, tuna, I always like maybe? try to figure out like, yeah, is like, did he hear tuna? Like, that's always what I'm trying to figure out uh, whenever this happens. It's uh, very funny to me every time. No thanks. I already ate. Got the lab report from Albert on the alt. Uh, oh, on the one armor's syringe he's talking about. Um, yeah. Philip Gerard, the Slash shoe Mike. salesman. Yeah. Says he's never seen a drug like it. A combo. Really weird stuff. Asks if Albert reported on anything else, and there is more. Papers found near the bloody towel down the drain tracks. Down the train. <laughs> Sally sells seashells by the seashore. The human torch was denied a bank loan. Okay, now I can say it. <laughs> Papers found near the bloody towel down the train tracks from the crime site. From a diary. A diary? Yeah, so maybe the secret diary is a real diary. But before that can even be thought about, uh, Hawk enters the hallway dragging an angry shoe salesman, Philip Gerard. He's like, he's like, you can hear him in the distance saying, since when is selling shoes against the law? (laughs) It's great. (laughs) And I love that uh, when he comes in, like, Cole turns around and says, there he is now. (laughs) They go to sheriff's office to speak to him. Yeah. Uh, But we don't get that immediately. We first get completely forgets about Donna. But yes, then we do cut to one Ben Horn visiting his daughter. Yeah, they've got her recovering in the book house. And oh, this scene is creepy. It's so Very effective. tense. So the thing happening here is that Cooper is there. The, the people we have gathered are Cooper, Ben, and a just having woken up Audrey. And just the presence of these three people, Audrey wants to tell Cooper about her father's involvement in One-Eyed Jacks, but she can't because he's right there. Ben is pretending like nothing ever happened because, and he doesn't even realize that three days ago, he was the person he was trying to forcibly have sex with was his daughter behind a mask. So there's just so much like going on here as he's pretending everything's okay. And he's like, I've been worried sick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, fuck you. No, you haven't. And, but she's like, I've become aware of a lot of new things. I saw a lot. And she's trying to be like, hey, can Cooper give me the ride home? And he's like, why don't we all go together? He won't let her out of his sight because he doesn't want her talking to Cooper about anything that she saw at One-Eyed Jacks. He doesn't know how much she knows, but he knows any amount is bad. Yeah, that's uh, it for that scene together. Yeah, it ends with him saying, let's all go together. And that's um, we don't really 
see the rest of the the drive, but Cooper nods. And now we get to check in on our super-powered Nadine. And I'm home! It says carrying boxes from Horn, so I guess she was shopping. Um, oh, yeah, because she shows off her new yeah, dress. Yeah, it- it's so cute. I I just love all our dialogue in this scene. So if you don't mind, I just want to read Go it. Go for it. Isn't this the swellest dress you've ever seen? And you know, they didn't even look at me twice when I used the charge cards. Say, Ed, when do my folks get back from Europe anyway? Uh, pretty soon. It's neat having the house all to ourselves. Pretend it's ours, like we're married or something. We can do that. I know some other stuff we can do. Uh, like what? You know, silly. And she gives him like an elbow to the stomach of like, Punk. oh, you're so silly. But she has superpowers. So he's like, <laughs> <laughs> this killed you know the man. Yeah. You know what I was thinking? Tonight, maybe we could go to the park by the lake and neck. And she's this, like, kind of pushes him onto the couch. And this script says uh, that he says, maybe I don't think he gets a word out in the actual episode. No, but she says, wait a minute. We don't have to go anywhere. Why, we can stay right here. And that, yeah, that's when she pushes him onto the couch and he's like, oh, oh boy. Like, I mean, it would be horrible for him because, I, mm-hmm. you know, this is an unwanted sexual encounter. We, we cut away before anything happens. So we presume that probably given that her, yeah, she probably like probably doesn't actually. I, you know, I doubt anything horrible happens to Ed here from the context. Yeah. Uh, and she says, when are your parents coming home? <laughs> <laughs> or poor Ed, says the shooting script. And we go from there to Josie Packard, which this script says her clothing in disarray, crying on a couch as if she had been assaulted. I think she had. I don't know if yeah. there's an as if. Uh, because and- another another angle reveals Jonathan standing over her. And yeah, no, that's the vibe from the scene. That's right. She had, yeah, the, what do they end up talking about that actually matters? She's giving her plane tickets that leave tomorrow to go. Oh, well, right. And he gives Seattle her like an ultimatum about the yeah. sheriff too. I think it's just that she, if she doesn't do what he tells her that he's going to fuck up the sheriff, I think is the idea. I could. Yep. That's what he says. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's like, look, I know that he's important to you. He says, leave with me tonight or I'll kill him. And she's like, he doesn't know anything. It's like, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see a follow up to that sort of plot thread tomorrow. Um, I'm sure that Josie will just leave and it'll be fine. She's going to stay a human person and (laughs) uh, there's nothing weird about it. If you haven't. Listener, if you're just like along for the ride. This feels like one of the most normal TV plot lines so far. I know. It is. I would argue the most incomprehensible thing in the entirety of Twin Peaks. Oh, wait, counting season three or just season two? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no, there, what? Brain flashes with an image of Cooper levitating in a glass cube. Yeah, but A large kettle that, in deep that, space. But that makes a lot of sense to me because he's in, he's, he has. No, I'm joking. I'm just thinking. the material world. I, he's I'm in thinking the spiritual of absurd world imagery. Josie turns into a doorknob. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a lot of spirits in the wood wheels. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you become one with the great anyway, northern. You can bleep that out if you don't want to spoil it. But I mean, we've said it before. It's just it's hard yeah. to know how serious we're being if you haven't seen it. <laughs> and I should say not a doorknob. 
that would be ridiculous. It's the knob on a dresser. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get there eventually. It's not a spoiler if it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> yep. James and Maddie have an. I really like this location. Yes, we've never have seen, we this, seen this before. Seen this before? I don't yeah. think so. It's just like a beautiful lake pier. Gorgeous. That uh, yeah. James is is sitting by the water. And Maddie shows up, and they have a a pretty nice conversation about yeah. what's happened between them. And you know, he wants to apologize, and she's like, "No, I mean, I get it, and I, you know, was kind of enjoying it, so I." Can't entirely blame you. Yeah, what she says is like, you know, since I've gotten here, I've kind of just been RPing as Laura. Like, we were so close that it was very easy for me to fall into her rut when I got here. And that was kind of fun because, you know, I always used to get mistaken for Laura and I miss her. And so, you know, I, I think that that is probably why you kissed me. And, you know, in the moment I enjoyed that because I was RPing as Laura. But you know what? You and Donna belong together. It's really obvious. Please don't fall for some older lady who lives in another city. Mm, boy. She also says that she's going to leave town, uh, I think, tomorrow. Yep. Um, she's like, yeah, I came she's for the funeral. She's got to go back to her life. It's been two weeks. I got to go. And another thing I liked is that when she mentions all that, he's like, yeah, but it was wrong. And she's like, well, it wasn't one thing or the other. I just got to pretend to be somebody I'm not. And now I'm not going to do that anymore. So yeah, let's, she's like, it was weird, but but whatever. Fine. Don't worry about it. We were we were both there for it in the moment. James talks about wanting to stay decent for a while. Will he do it? <laughs> she's uh, she's going to head out tomorrow. Kisses him on the cheek. End of scene. Back to Ben Horde. Yeah, what's he up to? Oh, he's meeting with Josie. I like this. This is Josie's big thing about like, Jonathan's like, yeah, you're leaving tomorrow. And she's like, I haven't gotten my money. I have not right. been paid for the five years of work I've put into this fucking mill plot. So she goes to Ben and she's like, I'm not leaving your office without my money. And she yeah, gets specifically the money for selling like, the mill. Correct. Because the mill, the land that the mill is on, Ben wants to incorporate into Ghostwood Estates. Or basically has in his mind already incorporated into Ghostwood Estates yep. and basically already sold. Yeah, the thing is that, like, Catherine she, in disguise. Yeah, she is, Josie, is delivering the, like, the actual deed of everything with Pete's signature acquired off screen. So I guess you can question its legitimacy. <laughs> but uh, she's like, here's this, but I'm not giving it to you until you actually pay me for it. And he's like, I'll give you your cut of the Ghostwood Estates once all the money comes from Norway or Sweden or whatever the fuck it's from. And she's like, no, I'm leaving here with money. It's Iceland, how dare you? But Iceland, my bad. What ends up happening is that Ben gives her the check that the $5 million check he just got from Catherine in disguised as, as Tojimura, which is an interesting little <laughs> loop that does. Yeah, so I guess that was just like the down payment on the on the because presumably he like he wouldn't give all of his money from the deal away. So like that must be some expense. I guess I've never owned land, so I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's probably pretty pricey. Yeah. Um it's also there's a funny scene here where uh Ben's like, "Look, you know, if anything happens, yeah, I have this key to my my personal hotel safe and inside is a dossier on all your problems, like all you've ever done, including that uh, 
quote-unquote accident with your late husband on the boat. Yeah, and she's like, well, that's a shame. If anything happens to me, it would lead authorities to a safety deposit box in another city in which there's enough evidence to put you away for three lifetimes. Yeah, and it's just she's like, like, shut up. You are, you are like 10 times more in deep with your own criminal history than me like if you can blackmail me i can blackmail you three times over yeah it's it's so funny just like this this exchange that's like peak drama of just like here's this monologue about how i can bury you and it's like well i guess we're at a stalemate then guess we'll both get what uh, we want the script says and i like this the script says they stare at each other mongoose and cobra and it does feel like that like yeah they both could kill the other at any moment, but they're like, well, all right. They, they end up doing so the Viper deed for the deed Zangus. for the money. What's the fuck is that Pokemon called? Yes, yeah, so Viper and Zangoose, yeah. Zangoose just sounds like a fake Pokemon after I said it out loud. That's why I wasn't sure. Ha. She gets the, she says cash, but she gets the five million check instead. Um, and that's the end of that scene. Well played, Josie. She leaves. Establishing shot. Leo Johnson's house. Oddly, music from within. Kazoos. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are having a coming home part. They are celebrating. It's mean. It's, it is. It's it's so mean spirited. They are having. They are throwing themselves a party in celebration of towards Leo Johnson. But Leo. still, so it like. Mean. But it's like. It's like so exploitative that it actually starts making because it's like it's oh, been yeah. so long Absolutely. since we've seen actually how Leo Johnson is literally the most horrifying and evil person on the planet. So it's like he's just been a disabled person for this season. So it's mm-hmm. like, God, this feels bad. They are partying because they're like, we're going to take all of your disability money. And that's isn't that amazing? And they've got him like dressed up with party hats and Shally's got like a uh, I wouldn't say lingerie but she's got like a racy outfit on and they're just uh they're 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 doing some heavy petting right in front of him just to taunt him because he's not conscious they don't really notice it because the music is playing so loudly but the the more he is insulted by what Bobby and Shelly are doing the louder he's buzzing the kazoo that that Bobby stuck in his mouth like there's Leo probably can hear what's going on. Yeah, and there's a when they start necking on the table, like they lay down on the table in front of him. From her point of view, it looks like he like turns a little bit to look at her, and she screams and she's like, "He moved." I saw a move, and Bobby's like, "Oh, okay. Let's let's not be as shitty as we are being." And he goes to I don't know in his own dumb way apologize and. He's like, uh, you know, we were doing this for you. This was actually a good we, thing. We do care about your rehabilitation. They said that this should, we should have familiar stimulus. So, you know, kazoos. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good line. Yeah, he goes to give him cake and uh, he's like, oh, let's get some ice cream too. And he taps him on the shoulder and then Leo like falls headfirst into the cake. Ugh. Lifts him up and apologizes and kind of tries to wipe the cake off his face, but. Shelly and him sort of laugh anyway as the as the end of the scene. Sure is. What do we get next? We get Agent Dale Cooper. Yeah, Cooper meets Cole. So if you want to be Cole this time, I can be Cooper. I'll be cool. I'll I'll be cool Cole. Uh, I love this scene cool. because it's like a shot of Cole, Gordon Cole. And like in the background, Cooper's like entering their room. He stops and like 
snaps his finger and points mm-hmm. like um, as soon as he insta- notices out of the corner of his eye. Um, but yeah, Agent Dale Cooper. And I like all of Cooper's line readings in here because it's like he, you can tell that he knows Gordon very well and has a good rapport with him because, you know, Cooper speaks very clearly anyway, and he, he just increases his volume a little bit and. You know, he accommodates uh, Gordon's being hard of hearing, which not every character in this show does. And I just like it. Yep. He says, hello, Gordon. Hope you haven't been waiting too long. I've been waiting to see you here for the better part of the afternoon. What can I do for you? No matter whatsoever. No apology necessary. (laughs) Got to meet the local law enforcement team. A great bunch. You remind me of a, a, I think he says today. You remind me today of a little Mexican chihuahua. And he does. Yeah, he, he stresses in a really the w- weird way. He's he just stresses like, like a w- yeah, like a W is in there. And uh, he then says, "Can I speak with you in private?" Of course, Harry. May we use your office? True. Uh, Truman says, "Yeah, go ahead." And Cole says, "How about the sheriff's office?" <laughs> it's a great bit of um, him suggesting something right after somebody else does. Happened several times. Always good. They lead him into the office. The door closes, but you can still hear oh, Gordon yeah. from the other side. I believe in secrecy, Coop. <laughs> Didn't want to say this in front of the men. Um, we don't. I don't know if we need to read every single line. As fun as it is to be Gordon no. Cole, um, but basically Cole's worried. Like, uh, and and he's echoing Albert's worries as well that he might be in over his head, much like another job in Pittsburgh. And Cooper's like, no, Pittsburgh. I, but we, you know, both jobs. I got wounded, but this is different. That's the only similarity. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Cole says, well, you know, at least he's looking all right. Um, could catch up on sleep, but that comes with the territory. And uh, Cooper's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm at like, you know, this is what peak performance looks like. You may not like it. But then Cole also says uh, that he got an anonymous message the, at the HQ. Yeah, it says, sent to home base with your name on a coop. Looks kind of familiar, doesn't it? And it doesn't to us, but. Yeah, then, well, it, it says P to K4. And Truman says, looks like a chess deal. Because uh, Truman, Truman at, at this point, comes into the the room and is like, we can hear everything you're saying. <laughs> yep. Yeah, which, yeah, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's a chess move. Uh, Cooper says it's an opening move from Wyndham Earl. Uh, so I guess Wyndham Earl is making some opening moves that we aren't seeing. Pawn to night four. Yeah. Uh, that's the end of that scene for now. Ah, the... What was the gambit joke you made is that what you're oh i think do? i said the danish opening or something oh, but sure. i think it's but i don't know if that's actually the name of them i think that's what i said in interstitial but i think that's an actual name of a move because i don't fucking know chess things yeah I'm trying to think there is like one that i used to know the name of that i could make for a reference but it's not even coming to me now for shame i need to for relearn chess shame. things so i can make jokes yeah that's, that's basically basically my whole thing is i gotta know just enough about every subject matter to make a joke about uh, but that, let's move on to the next scene, which is Ben Horn and meeting with Leland Palmer as his lawyer trying to get over on the land deal. Um, he's finally coming back to work because, as he says, Jerry is on the road again. Uh, visiting Tokyo, I think he says. Um, yeah, looking into the Tokyo deal, he wants to meet with Leland before he takes Tojimura to a dinner. Yeah, Leland, or rather, Ben is in a tight tight spot because Catherine, but he doesn't know it's Catherine because he thinks it's Mr. Tojimura. Catherine has offered him a better deal, and he's already taken the down payment and given that money away to Josie. But also, the Icelanders have already paid their first payment, 
but Catherine as Tojimura is paying him more. So he wants to accept that deal, but he's already kind of partway through the deal with the Icelanders. And so Leland uh, is kind of like, he, you know, he's back at it. He, this is why he's Ben's lawyer. And Leland says, first thing we need to do is resurvey the land. Re required because of the fire. Set up a parade of inspectors, federal, state, and county till Jerry comes back with a full report. If there's money coming from either direction, we run it through the Caymans. Pick up some pocket money on the exchange rate. And if we can, drop escrow into a black hole for six months. And Ben gets a big ol' smile and says, That's my Leland. Uh, great. That's what he's here for. Back at the back, back at work. You don't need a criminal lawyer. You need a criminal lawyer. You you need the guy from the ICLU who's the villain in God's Not Dead Two. <laughs> literally, wow, yeah. yeah, he plays a lawyer in that too. Yep, and he's literally a stand-in for Satan, who he's also oh, played Ray multiple Wise. times. He plays. I think he's played Satan in a lot of pure flick stuff. Uh, Jory was telling me the other day. Funny. He's he's also basically Satan in the Tim and Eric movie. Great friends with David R. White, I assume. I don't know. Is he a religious guy? Because he plays Satan in stuff that's, like, not super... Like, I'm pretty sure he was... Wasn't he in Reaper as the dad? Couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I think it's a mixture of the people who end up in those Christian films of actors just wanting work, actors being bought in on the Christian media thing, maybe actors being half bought in, like, maybe they are Christians, but not, not to uh, David R. White extent, but they're like, sure, I'll play... Yeah. I'll play a lawyer in your propaganda movie. Yeah, sure. yeah. Why not? I'll, I'll depict the the ACLU as satanic. <laughs> why not? Wouldn't be the first time it's been done by the yeah by uh, Christian nationalists. Is, is is that the low point of Ray Wise's career, or is it being filled in a sitting in a bathtub, being filled with shit in the Tim and Eric movie? They're <laughs> they're pretty similar in terms of depth. Um. Anyways, Harry Truman. And Josie Packard are meeting for what might be the last time. It's not. Um, yeah. But Josie's like, I got to go. And he's like, what? Jonathan Kumagai is in the scene. She lies and says her assistant, Mr. Lee, because he's carrying her bags to the car. He's playing along. She's like, I got to go. Truman's like, where? What are you doing? Where are you going? Why? She doesn't answer. She just says, nope. she, she says, I always called you from here. It was where I, it was here. I could talk to you and every and be everything you wanted me to be. And he's like, where are you going? Still doesn't answer. Yeah, she just says, I sold the mill, it's over, I'm going home. Um, he tries to stop her, she says, sorry, but I gotta go. And I, I like this exchange. He's like, you can't leave, and she's like, are you talking to me as a cop? Mm. And he says, no. This this shooting script says, I don't know, but he just, in the, in the actual episode, he says, no. He's like, no, I'm not, you're not detained. Yeah. He says, he says, I love you. She doesn't reply. He says it again, and then she leaves. Yeah, it's uh it's a great performance from both of them. You can Absolutely. tell that she doesn't want to hurt him like this, that she does feel for him, but she's in too deep. So she needs to cut off all ties. She needs to be the badass that she badass double agent that she knows she is and she just needs to uh cut yeah. off all ties, but her heart is t her heart's telling her no, but she leaves anyway. And we go from that to a uh, scene with Ben and Catherine's uh, racist depiction of yeah her race Sona <laughs> yeah yeah uh, Tojimura and they're talking about uh, Ben's trying to get to know more about him he's like no I gave you money fuck off I mean that's that's more or less the exchange and it's get it's gets uh, uh I mean there's a 
dumb racist line about Catherine. It's particularly bad if you know it's Catherine too, where Ben mentions the fire slowing things down and causing problems, and Catherine Ugh, cosplaying yeah, as Tojimura says, so "I know about fire. My family was at Nagasaki." Just fucking shut up, Catherine. What's supposed to be that she's saying like, oh, I know about fire. I was in the fire that you that you set up. But she can't say that without blowing your cover. And so she says a racist thing instead, because, you know, yeah. when in doubt, when, when in doubt, the scene moves along because instead of really uh, responding to that or continuing the conversation, Ben notices that Leland is doing karaoke and goes to sort of. I don't know, try and stop it. Getting to know you, getting to know you. (laughs) Yeah. Leland loves to just sing in the background of scenes. Pete is here. Like, like, so Ben is trying to get, he's like, "Uh, excuse me, excuse me. But Leland is like, I'm performing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Catherine slash Tojimura wanders over to the bar to watch and Pete spins around and. uh, Yeah, whirling around. He whirls around on, on the bar seat and he says, the King and I yeah. <laughs> is that the musical that the song is from. Yeah. I love tries, uh, tries really hard to make a conversation with uh, this, this Tojimura and just, it's almost like subconsciously he knows it's Catherine. He's drawn he to this person for some reason, her, but, but yeah. no, shut down every, uh, like, do you, can I buy you a sake? No. How about an ice cold milk? And just, yeah, just keeps trying for a reason that, doesn't make sense outside of maybe, yeah, doesn't know why he's drawn to this person. But I think that's what it is. It's the vibes. Yeah, doesn't go anywhere. End of scene. Um, We go then to the one-armed man having an episode, begging for his medicine, and Cooper and Cole are like, no, or else we won't see the mic that we want to see. And yeah, Philip Gerard is about to be possessed by Mike. And it happens. And it's Mike they want to interview. And this is cruel, but you know. It is, but also. It's a TV show. Yeah, it, it, it is fake. It's all made up. You're like, eh, it's ghost shit possessing. And also it's, I don't know, there's a part of you that's like, I kind of want to see the ghost man talk. I kind of want to see the ghost man take over. Right. And he says, there is no need for medicine. I am not in pain. Yeah. Goes on to say, a lot of this is recap a little, because he sort of mm-hmm. repeats stuff that we know from the dream. But he makes a lot clear. Like, he says, yes, I am an inhabiting spirit. Yeah, we, we've sort of made a lot of this stuff clear, because that's our purpose yeah. as the podcast. And he says that Bob is this, that he is a spirit inhabiting Philip Gerard in the same way that Bob is a spirit who inhabits multiple people. Yeah. And Mike calls them his Bob's children. It's a, Mike seems to look the same as Philip Gerard at all times. There's never a different appearance for Mike. Correct. That is not true for Bob. Bob does not look like his host. Well, in, I, I... Well, no, it is mentioned that some people have seen him, so maybe that changes. Yeah. So in what happens... So instances. I do want to note that there's an interesting discre- discrepancy between the script and the episode here. The script says... Cooper asks him, where does Bob come from? And in the script, Mike says, there are indications that we come from another world. In the episode, he just says, "Not I it can't say it now. Can't be revealed yet or something. Yeah, which is interesting because we know from season three so much more about where Bob came from. Yeah. And it's not just that he's from another world. I mean, that's 
technically true. Mike just says, you will live to comprehend man-made destruction beyond your comprehension. <laughs> but let's see. Yeah, you were you were hitting on the the thing about whether Bob... I think, well, yeah. So they, the two of them go back and forth, and, and Cooper, and they, they both say that Cooper and Mike's at the same time say that through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see line that Cooper heard in his dream. And to Cooper, that's like confirmation, like, okay, it's not just a coincidence, like, the same spirit that I talked to in the dream is inhabiting this man. Mm -hmm. It kind of confirms that for Cooper. And then they kind of go back and forth asking more questions. And and like you say, Mike claims, but then I saw the face of God and was purified. I cut off my arm and remained close to this vessel, inhabiting him from time to time for a single purpose. And Cooper says to find Bob. And Mike says to, to stop, stop him. And he points at the sketch artist depiction and he says, this is his tr the, the one that, you know, depicts him as the, the guy with the long hair. hair. And he says, this yeah. is his true face. Few can see it. The gifted and the damned. And my interpretation is like, the only people that have actually seen that are people that have seen him, are, are people who can see the spirit world, uh, which I guess includes Maddie, probably because of her connection to Laura. We Sarah the Palmer, her mom has seen her. Yeah. Um, seems like that whole family might be gifted in this way, the, in their ability to see the spirit world in the ways that the others can't. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm uh, having and, thoughts and, that I won't share for spoiler reasons. But then he also says, and the damned. And I think it's like, whenever he's about to kill you, like you see my interpretation is that you just see him, him as yeah. the host. But if he's about to kill you, you see the evil, you, you see the, the possession within that, That's that is the interpretation I had as well. Also like, I mean, and she didn't die. But uh, Ronette, I think, probably saw that's it as right, well. That's right, yeah. Um, which is she what probably fits into so that far. category yeah. of the damned. Yeah. And Cooper says, is he near? Is Bob near us now? For nearly 40 years. And he says, where? A large house made of wood, surrounded by trees. The house is filled with many rooms, each alike. But they are occupied by different souls. Night after night. Truman and Hawk seem to not know what he's talking about, but Cooper says, The Great Northern Hotel. And that's the end of the episode. It's just a guy in a hotel? Been here 40 years? That narrows it down. <laughs> it's also like, you and I knowing who the killer is, is kind of tricky. It's interesting, yeah. To say that. But it is true that the killer is in the Great Northern. Yeah. As he says this. Um, yeah. Yeah, this this scene is is great and does get my mind spinning, but I won't get fully into my thoughts because uh, I don't know. Some people are along for the ride, and that's it. Episode's over. Where are you on the internet? Wheels? Yeah, where are you on the internet? Oh, I well, asked you first. You can find you, you can find me in a large house made of wood, surrounded by <laughs> trees. The house is filled with many rooms, each alike. No, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com/singularwheels, and you can find me on a podcast called very random encounters for friends and i play a tabletop role-playing game and randomly determine as much as is possible take out the dice roll and the boring stuff so that it just feels like a fun improvised adventure um, of many different genres always tinged with a little bit of comedy a little bit of pathos um and i get to do some fun sound design stuff there too so does my, uh so does logan who uh co-produces that show with me i'm really proud of how uh a lot of the stuff we put out recently, we put out a really good mini season of Big Bang Superstars, which you've heard me describe on previous episodes. But now we are airing. I'm sure you're all wondering why I'm, why I've gathered you all here this evening, uh, which Logan is editing. So I haven't yet gotten to hear it, but I'm excited to. 
And it's his game of 12 socialites are, are given an invitation to a mansion. And when they arrive, the butler tells them that the owner of the mansion that invited them has died and he will bequeath the deed to the mansion to whichever one of them is alive uh, at the end of the night. And it's a wonderful, it was a wonderful, wonderful session. We, uh, we did it with a guest, Junie Ruiz, uh, who's wonderful. It was a great rapport. Um, and it was very funny. Uh, a lot of intrigue. Uh, that's at very random encounters at vre.show. Hell yeah. Oh, what about you, Joe? I'm so used to going first. I forgot I didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, Twitter.com slash ghost of Joe. Uh, we are watching one piece still in whole cake. If you like one piece, if you want to go listen to that recap show where I'm rewatching it and my co-host is watching it for the first time. Um, other than that, listen to Andrew Stitchell. If you haven't still fucking bangs, I think we're nearing the, the chunk after the matrix ends is like some really big episodes that I'm incredibly proud of. Um, so listen, if you haven't big, uh, you know, I'm a fan and I made it. So I can't be biased. <laughs> so that's Interstitial Season 3, Proximity, if you haven't checked it out yet. You can also support this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash MemorizeCast. You'll get the rest of Interstitial Season 3 early. You'll get these episodes early. You'll get our monthly bonus episodes where I'm explaining the Matrix lore to wheels. If you listen to Interstitial and you wanted some more Matrix, well, I got it for you. And what else is there to plug? Our theme music comes to us from the great beyond, from man-made terror beyond your comprehension you can find a link to it in the show notes where i found it and i believe uh that's all the stuff we plug for this one i did the intro so wheels tell us everything you possibly can about the episode we've just discussed that was episode 13 which was later given the title demons it is the sixth episode of season two and it is the 14th episode if you count the pilot God is memorized.